Hey, y'all. My name is Brad Malton. I'm the community pastor at Trinity. Thank you so much for wanting to learn more about the issue of affordable housing in our city. On the Faith and Justice Night, we're so blessed to hear from two of our partners, Justin Bleeker from Grove Park Renewal and Benjamin Wills, who is the founding head at Peace Prep Academy in English Avenue. And we cherish the partnerships we have with them, but also so grateful for how they shared their wisdom on the issue of affordable housing in our city and some of the complexities created by the lack of affordable housing and how it destabilizes our communities, but also some of the solutions and the ways to engage both personally and corporately in addressing these issues and hoping to build towards a more flourishing community. Uh, we also ended the evening with an open Q&A in which members of the community were able to ask questions to Justin and Benjamin. And I, I think tonight you'll be blessed as you listen in on the reflections and on the perspectives on how we can move together towards a more flourishing community. Thanks for listening. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Um, Y'all, my name is Brad Malden, and I'm the community pastor here at Trinity. Thank you so much for being here uh, for our conversation tonight on faith and justice as it connects to this idea of housing, particularly, uh, in particular, affordable housing. Um, We're so glad that you guys are here. What a gift. If this is your home, um, we're so glad you're here. And if you're a guest, um, even more fun uh, to be able to engage in what I think is such an important conversation, and just in regards to what the role of the church is when we think about justice and we think about uh, issues of injustice and how the church can lean into these spaces and the redemptive ways we're meant to participate. So if you are coming, there looks like four or five more people that are here coming in. Why don't you all fill in this front table? Um, I, think, yeah, I think you're okay there. I think there's enough people coming in there. Um, so I'll say this. Um, we are super excited about tonight's conversation, um, especially when we think about Atlanta uh, and we think about housing as it connects to Atlanta and what community means. Uh, a stable community uh, is an essential building block. Uh, stable communities are a good thing for everybody and anybody. Um, we all win when communities uh, are not transient, when communities are stable. And there's a lot of factors that go into stable communities. There's a lot of factors that make a community well and healthy. Uh, when healthy communities are functioning and flourishing, that is a good thing for all people. Um, and so what we know is that uh, not all aspects of community are healthy. And you know, we talked about a few months ago the issue of education uh, and how that connects to destabilizing community, how that connects to um, injustice in the sense that who you are and where you're born uh, determines a lot of the projected outcomes for your life. And so to no fault of your own, your life is predetermined in that way. Um, in many ways that we wanted to address and to talk about, and we heard from our partners. And tonight, very excited to hear from more partners as it relates to this idea of housing, uh, specifically as it relates to this idea of affordable housing. Uh, I will not in any way, shape, or form try to speak into any of these issues uh, because they are super complex. Uh, These issues of of housing and affordable housing um, are myriad and what contributes to the issues of affordable housing. Um, There's probably every person in this room brighter than me um, when it comes to understanding the components to that reality. Um, But what I do know um, is that affordable housing is an issue in our city, Um, and especially as you think about uh, certain pockets of our city, um, uh, maybe maybe even more particularly relates to where we're standing right here. Um, If you go just a few miles west of here, uh, there's a neighborhood called Grove Park. Um, Grove Park, I think, is going to be one of those neighborhoods for us as a city um, in terms of checking the kind of the health of the soul of our city um, as we look at Grove Park and what Grove Park becomes and evolves into um, is, uh, I think, an important part um, of maybe a, a sense of a finger on the pulse of the whole of Atlanta. Um, because Grove Park is going to be one of those communities that has been uh, factored in um, so many ways in terms of under-resourced and to the complexity of relationships and family, education, 
affordable housing, uh, crime. Uh, it is a deep, deep neighborhood um, in regards to people's sense of being in that neighborhood for a very long time. And it's only two or three miles from where we stand right here, but it also faces some of the greatest challenges our city faces. Um, but what's also happening on the horizon um, is remarkable development that is happening right around uh, the footprint of Grove Park. Um, things like the Beltline, uh, things like the Bellwood Park, the quarry over there um, is a backbone to what I think will happen as we look into the future in our city. Um, and Grove Park will be right in the middle of that. I believe someone told me the other day that uh, Microsoft is going to be opening offices there and they're expecting about 30,000 employees to be on that campus. Um, and so you think about what's going to happen in our city, and like I said, Grove Park is just one particular part. Um, but I thought tonight, as a way to frame that for us, both especially since it is on the west side of Atlanta for us, um, especially since it is so close to where we are standing right here, um, and honestly, because it, it impacts the whole of our city, right? Like as um, parts of our city go, so does the whole and so I wanted to create a conversational space around this and so excited to have two partners with us tonight, Benjamin uh, Wills, who is the head, founding headmaster at Peace Prep Academy, but also, uh, and he'll explain more of this, is also participates in a ministry called Oaks ATL, and I hope I'm doing you justice, ben Benjamin, on what that means, um, but it's a housing, in essence, a development firm uh, that is uh, geared towards uh, a nonprofit way of thinking um, in regards to our city. And we have Justin Bleeker, who uh, is the executive director of Grove Park Renewal, so two ministries doing work in Grove Park uh, in various uh, unique ways, but also ways that overlap. Um, what's cool tonight is that they are also friends. Is that fair to say that you're friends? Um, I know. Yeah, most of the time. Um, so Justin came tonight thinking that um, he would not be outdone by Benjamin's uh, apparel. Um, Benjamin wears a bow tie. It's kind of his classic look. And so uh, Justin thought he'd wear a blazer, um, and then Benjamin walks in without his bow tie. Um, and so Justin feels very overdressed. So we're excited about that, um, to have him um, in this space. They both are deep members in the Redeemer community, uh, the church uh, that we planted a few years ago. So we are friends, uh, and we're so blessed to have them tonight, um, and blessed that they're both here and to hear from them. Um, their past and their history together, I think, is going to be a real blessing to us, uh, because we'll be able to work off one another and what we do tonight. And so to give you a little idea on the format, as a reminder, if you weren't here in August, um, you're sitting at roundtables on purpose. Uh, the idea here is that we're going to hear from each of these men. They're going to say what they want to say and say what they need to say. I, we haven't coached them in any way, shape, or form in regards to this idea of affordable housing. Um, I said to them earlier tonight that housing uh, is very personal in the same way that education is, but housing is also uh, going to press buttons in us. Uh, because we all have skin in the game. We all participate in some of the ways that I think they're going to be challenging us and better understanding the issues related to affordable housing. Um, we're all participants in that. And the way that education can kind of be an issue that we can keep at arm's length, I think housing is going to be something that is going to poke and prod us in ways. Um, so you may be a little bothered um, not to set that up or set that expectation in, in full force. You may not be bothered at all, and that's fine too. Um, but the idea is that we are being stirred in our imaginations because um, what we know is that God is calling us as a body, and that's not true for Trinity, that is collectively true for the church at large, to participate in his redemptive work, to be a group of people, a body, who participate and lean into the story of God redeeming and renewing all things. God's going to do that regardless of whether we participate in that, but his plan is to actually use us for that participation, to use us to co-labor with him to make things new. And it's a beautiful thing, but the body gets to participate in that. We get to have agency where we lean into that reality. And when the hope of one of these nights is, is it does educate us, but it also stirs something up in us that allows us to maybe wonder 
if God's going to give us a heart for a particular thing, he will not give us a heart for everything for sure, but he will give us a heart for something. And then what we get to do is we discern that heart that he's given us. We get to align our heart with his work and we get to lean into that space. And so one of my private hopes tonight is that you all leave more educated, more understanding of what's going on, the dynamics of our city as it relates to housing, but also to lean into potentially the stirring of God's heart in you, that he may wired you in such a way that he's going to invite you to lean in in ways that you'd be surprised. You know, like, and that's a loaded expectation, right? Like you came in here tonight to learn something, but you may also come in here tonight um, to be taught something by the Lord and he may stir in you um, and move you in a direction that you may be surprised. So the hopefulness is that you'd be open to that. And so what we'll do is we'll hear from each of these guys for about 10 or 15 minutes, and then they'll um, load you guys with some questions that you'll discuss at your table. Um, and then the next person will come up, present for about 15 minutes, and then we'll have some Q&A at the table as well. And then when that is done, they will both come back up here and we'll have an opportunity to have kind of open floor Q&A. And so if you look at your table, what you'll notice are some of these index cards. The index cards are for you to write your questions down uh, that give you an opportunity to kind of ask any question that you want to ask either of these folks. Um, I'll be up here with them. We'll be able to curate that time. Um, and like I said, well, any question can kind of, you know, I guess be on the floor. Um, that's what it's a blank uh, piece of paper for. You get to ask whatever you want. Um, I don't know if they'll answer it or not, but we'll find out. So anyway, so excited about this, y'all. Thank you for being here and giving an evening to um, this issue and to this topic. I think it's an important one for our city and excited to hear um, what these two men have to say. So I'm going to invite Benjamin to come on up um, and we'll start by praying together and then we'll um, have Benjamin begin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of togetherness. We thank you for the gift of the opportunity to be together here tonight in this space. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence Lord, when we look tonight at issues of faith and justice as it relates to housing in our city, Lord, we ask for understanding. We ask our minds would be open, our hearts would be willing to receive what it is you have to give us tonight. God, your heart is for justice. Your heart is to renew all things. Help us see the ways in which you are at work around us. Help us see the ways that we can lean in and participate in that work. God, I thank you for Benjamin. I thank you for Justin. I thank you for the gift of them sharing with us tonight. Uh, their lives in many ways, God. They've committed themselves wholly uh, to your work. And we thank you for their work. We thank you for the fact that they are who they are, Lord, and they're willing to share with us tonight and give us the gift of their experience, their knowledge, their insight. Lord, I ask that you bless them with your peace and your joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Benjamin. Thank you, Brad. Ooh, how are y'all doing tonight? Uh, so feel free to talk to me, you know nod, move, speak a little. It's good. It's good to see uh, unmasked people. So interact with me a little bit is, is the request. But uh, as Brad said, I'm Benjamin Wills. I am the founder and head of school at Peace Preparatory Academy. I'm also uh, one of the priests at Redeemer Community Church. And then I serve on the board of Oaks ATL Community Development, which is primarily what I'm going to share about tonight. And one of the cool things, which is, is not in my notes, but I will say is that part of the Oaks ATL story is that there were some really special people who invested really big in really specific monetary ways for us to do the things that we've been able to do, and they came out of this church. And so there's a, a unique connection to, to Trinity and the work that we do already. Um, so it's exciting to be here tonight with you. So um, slides are coming. Haha. So bonus points for anyone who can name this gaming console. Anybody? Sega Dreamcast. Nice work. So go back with me to the year 1998. 
at 12 years old, my brother and myself got a Sega Dreamcast. And so we loved to compete against each other. We loved to play driveway basketball. And being the shorter, younger brother, I often lost. But Sega Dreamcast provided me the opportunity to beat my brother at video game basketball. And so we would have these intense battles on the basketball court virtually. Uh, fast forward a little bit into having that, to my dismay, uh, our Dreamcast stopped working. It would turn on and it would act like it was going to load up the game and then it would just power down. Because we had limited resources, but lots of creativity, um, I decided to take this thing apart and figure out what's going on with it. And so you can kind of see that little vent on the side. And somehow what I was able to discover with this thing is that there was a little fan inside there. And that if the little fan wouldn't turn, then the Dreamcast would turn itself off because it would overheat. And so... As I took it apart, I found this tiny little piece lodged in that fan. I took that piece out, put it back together, and Sega Dreamcast worked again. Now, this is a fun story, but this is the earliest I can remember uh, God inviting me to have the kind of imagination to take things apart, look at them creatively, and figure out how to put them back together. And so that's the invitation tonight, is to think about this issue of housing and consider it as a trailhead. Consider it as an opportunity for God to invite you to imagine how you might take apart a really complex issue and think about how to put it back together with the creative capacities that God has given each one of you. So that was just for fun. Uh, this is where we do our work. And so I love this picture because it's an intersection and we're here to talk about the intersection of faith and justice. And so fast forward with me now, we're in 2012. My family and I have lived in English Avenue now um, for 10 years. We've decided to call this place home. But in 2012, um, we spent some time just really trying to discern what God was calling us to do in this neighborhood specifically. And over a period of 40 days and 40 nights in Lent, God allowed me um, to physically dream. It was the question I was asking God, will you physically allow me to dream about how you made me, what you made me to do, and how I can love and serve you in the context of this particular community? And it was here in this neighborhood um, that the Lord allowed me to see that dream. He allowed me to see three gears, uh, whole children, whole families, and whole communities. That's the mission of the school that we started. But what God was really showing me was a bigger picture, a picture that I believe was a picture for systemic justice. What would it look like to have a system that on purpose produced justice or flourishing in the life of a child or a family? And I believe God was sharing that dream with me as part of his heart and his intention in creation to see all people flourish. And so to get to that work of creating shalom, this idea of nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it should be, we planted a school. That's where we started. But we're here to talk about housing. So, not long after planting the school in 2015, God continued to reveal to us layers of this. And so, you can kind of see um, the building that is across from the steeple is another church, and you can kind of see some housing around it. And that housing did not look like that. So, that's, that's what it looks like now. But it did not look like that. It was vacant. It was abandoned. Um, it was boarded up or, or very, very underserved. And so, we were doing school out of that building across the street from that, looking at that, watching kids and families 
families be physically displaced and trying to come up with how do we solve this new kind of problem. We know this is a problem in uh, transiency and communities, which leads into poor educational outcomes. And so how can we be a part of solving this problem? And lots of people have solved that problem in a variety of ways, um, but we decided to, again, dream big and begin to ask God what God would have us do. And so it's really out of this that Oaks ATL Community Development was born. And it was born with this vision out of Isaiah 61, that Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord's dwelling, already lived in this community. And that it was our job to water and to provide light and to provide hope for these oaks of righteousness that were already in existence and provide them a place to grow up and be these big, beautiful oak trees that you can see all throughout this picture. So that is how Oaks ATL was born, out of this vision that Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord's, right? This is also the chapter we know that Jesus reads from when he unrolls the scrolls in the temple. And in this chapter, he's talking about the good news of the gospel being not just spiritual restoration, but physical restoration taking place. And so that's the work that we began to do. So we started to consider how can we provide safe, quality, dignified, affordable housing? How could that be a piece in bringing shalom to the ecosystem in English Avenue? How could we, as followers of Jesus, thinking about all the complexity of these factors that lead to flourishing? So let's talk about the current ecosystem. So you'll excuse my um, rudimentary dragging skills on my MacBook, um, but this is English Avenue, and it's a little bit tough to see, but you can see some of our neighbors, the College Triple Hall of Fame, the Georgia Aquarium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Georgia Tech, all those fun things, the Atlanta University Center to ourselves. This is the ecosystem that we were working and living in. And here are some things you may have already heard about English Avenue at some points, or you may not have, so I'll share them with you. Um, over the last decade or so, this neighborhood has had a vacancy rate of about 60%, meaning about 60% of the properties are vacant, abandoned, boarded up in some level of disrepair. And at times, um, based on statistics and crime data, this has been considered one of the most dangerous parts of our city. Uh, you may have read about this in the news or somewhere else, um, that this is the heroin capital of the southeastern United States. You may have heard about the trafficking of cocaine or opioids or humans. These are all things that happen in the context of this neighborhood. So this makes it even more critical for us to consider housing when you consider all of those things being kind of breeding grounds for this kinds of activity. Now, that's part of the story, right? But we know God is writing another story. And so my family's lived in this community for 10 years. And along that time, we've met countless loving, caring, Jesus-believing and following neighbors. And so what do you do with that tension? What do you do with the tension that here are Jesus-believing people whose hopes and dreams and desires echo the prophecies of Isaiah, that they desire to live in shalom. And what do you do with that tension? That, and I believe that's the exact kind of place that God's calling his followers to bring to bear the kingdom in our midst today. And so that's where we got to work in thinking about housing. So I'll tell you a little bit about who does this work, because these people are the ones that actually do this, and they're the ones that in, inspire me, and I just get to talk about them. But Matt Maxwell is our executive director, and he's not here tonight because he's actually at a resident advocate meeting. And so each of our properties has a resident advocate in it, and they meet together um, to plan and prepare activities. And so that's where he is tonight. But you can see his team. Um, several on his team are fathers of kids in Peace Prep. Several live in English Avenue and in the housing that we provide as well. Um, and so this 
this crew here does this work that I'm going to show you about. These guys are the restorers. They're the rebuilders. They're the repairs of the breach. These are the guys who are physically participating with God day in and day out to see this work happen, and, and I'm super proud of them. And in addition to them, we also partner with Grove Park Renewal, and so you'll hear Justin share more about that, and they provide all of our tenant services and the things that we do there. And so here's an example of something we've done, just to kind of give you a picture of it. When you look at a project like this, I want to be clear, there's a lot more to the work that we do than just repairing blighted properties. That's the thing you can kind of physically see with your eyes. But the dignity and care that Matt and his team go about this work makes it, I believe, a model for Christ followers to see how can we approach neighboring well? How can we bring this kind of dignity to this space? And so here's some of the things that happen for each of our tenants. So before someone moves in, each tenant has been equipped with a four-week renter pre-qualification course. So they've sat down with people to walk through with them finances, budgeting, um, financial literacy, stewardship, and just relationally connect with them over four weeks, and then agree to kind of walk with them a little bit further in that. In addition to that, um, they've worked with someone to ensure their ability to rent a unit through Grove Park Renewal and those tenant services. And then on top of that, every month, somebody visits them at their apartment and walks through their apartment with them to check on anything that may be going on and provide them any kind of support or prayer that they might need. All of this, um, again, is done in partnership with Grove Park Renewal, and that's allowed us to currently do this for 31 multifamily units um, and one single-family home in English Avenue. Let me talk about um, how we do this for just a second. Um, on each of these projects, we use a combination of public funds, private investors, donated materials, and then some traditional bank financing. So that may be something that is interesting to you. Um, but all of that is to deliver a high-quality, safe, dignified, affordable housing product. And then it does these three things. One, provides quality and affordable housing for Peace Prep staff, for student families, and legacy residents of English Avenue. It allows us to own real estate so that we can ensure that our families won't be forced out when prices escalate and we empower our families to maintain their voice in how the community is reshaped long term. And then last, it creates a passive income stream for the ministries of Peace Prep. And so the cool thing is we've been able to think about this in such a way that we leverage the skills and talents of the team to do for-profit work as well and provide some pass-through income for the work of the school as well as to kind of offset some of the costs of the housing. And so let me kind of try to wrap here because I'm going towards 15 minutes. But as we think about the future, here's kind of the next frontier for us. So we're thinking about housing. The next thing we're thinking about in this ecosystem is economic development. So what does it look like to have uh, meaningful work and community-driven spaces of economic activity? And so this is going to be uh, kind of infill in between the school and some of the housing that we have, where we'll build a coffee shop, a market, a barber shop, and a laundromat. And, so, and then some more housing on top. And so this will provide us a way to think about things, future, future thinking kinds of things. So let me wrap up with this question that you'll have uh, to think about at your uh, tables. And it's a big question, so I'm going to ask it in a couple of different ways so you can think about it at your tables. But how will we steward the shalom of God in our neighborhoods? So if the shalom of God is the peace of God, it's nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it should be. If we're steeping in that Advent story and that text we read from John the Baptist yesterday calling us to make straight paths to the Lord so that all people will see salvation, how will we steward that in our neighborhoods? How do we take that huge funnel and drill it down to how we're interacting with our neighbors one-on-one? -on -one? A step more personal, you could ask it this way, in your time with the Holy Spirit, 
God, with the mind, with the hands, and with the heart that you've given me, how can I be involved in cultivating shalom in my neighborhood? Um, Look for the places in your life where deep joy wells up. And then look back on your life. Listen to those experiences that you've had. Like for me, the Sega Dreamcast, for you, it may have been something else. But where has God been revealing to you the creative capacities that you have? And how will you leverage those for the flourishing of someone else? Thank you. All right, I'm going to interrupt you here. Um, Benjamin, thank you uh, for sharing what you're sharing. Sarah, would you put that map back up on there? Um, I was telling Benjamin afterwards that I have like a mental block on something. Um, and when I think of Grove Park, I'm just generally calling it like a general area. Um, but the reality is, is Grove Park is a neighborhood in our city, as is English Avenue. Um, and I love the aerial here to see uh, the yellow on English Avenue. And I don't know if you've ever been down Donnelly Hollowell. So if you went down Northside Drive and you get to Tex Campus and turn right onto Donnelly Hollowell, as you drive down Donnelly Hollowell, English Avenue is kind of just to your left-hand side, almost immediate as you drive. And if you keep going down that direction, eventually you run into Grove Park. And primarily, if you think about where the quarry is and the the massive city of Atlanta Park that they just opened, that's going to be kind of on your right-hand side in your imagination. And there's like Howe Station over there. And uh, and if you further west, you end up in kind of the western area. There's just, um, and further south of that, I guess, is the Vine City. The reason I say these things is that just to emphasize the reality that for miles from where we are standing are realities that are probably as far removed from your own reality as you can imagine, depending on your story. Um, and that's, that's kind of a judgment-free comment to make that I think is really important for us to take in. Um, but it is a reminder for us that uh, we know the reality we live in, um, and the issues in regards to faith and justice are so much an invitation for us to put ourselves in the shoes of other people's realities. Um, and not in like a pity type of way, but in an educating ourselves type of way that allows us to see the humanity um, that God has created and placed in all of us. And Benjamin, I love the way you said that, that there's oaks just waiting to be blossomed um, and walking into any particular neighborhood, any particular room, and remembering that we're staring at people who are made in the image of God, right? Like C.S. Lewis said, there's no mere mortals. Um, and what a gift that I think that is. Um, and to tie housing into education, I think, is just such a beautiful thing. So, Benjamin, thank you for sharing that. Justin, why don't you come on up? Justin is the executive director of Grove Park Renewal. I'll say no more um, because I'll probably say something inaccurate at this point. So, Justin, thank you for being here. In my experience, pastors always say accurate information. <clears throat> thank you, Brad. Uh, Thank you, Trinity family, for having us as a sister congregation. We're so grateful at Redeemer uh, for your support and encouragement uh, that many of you have been, your church staff, just mentoring our church staff and pouring into us. So just as a sister church, thank you for that. Um, I want to start tonight by uh, just thinking with you a bit about times in life where you've had to transition and uh, just a show of hands, how many of you in this room have had to move at some point in your life? Oh, look at that. Everyone has moved at some point in your life. And what sorts of emotions does that elicit in you as you think about that uh, past, that past event, right? Maybe it's a little bit of apprehension, or maybe there's even trauma with it. Um, maybe there's a certain reason you had to move. Maybe it's for a job or education. There's lots of different reasons why we move, Right. But that's a reality for many of the folks that Benjamin and myself serve in the west side of our city in the Bankhead neighborhoods of English Ave and Grove Park, as Brad was just discussing. On average, a family in Grove Park 
moves every six months. So you think about the upheaval if you had to move children, if you have to move your parents, if you have to move friends or neighbors. What does that mean for the teachers in the schools? What does that mean for the police department? What does that mean for neighbors who constantly see a rotation of people coming through their houses next door? And just to reflect a little bit on my own life, my wife and I were married in Los Angeles in 2011. I went back to grad school shortly thereafter at the University of Southern California. Spent my time in downtown Los Angeles. I was going to live the happy-go-lucky life in LA, the dream, California dreaming on the beach. And then the Lord called me to Atlanta. So my wife, eight months pregnant at this point, we pack up our car and we drive across the country in five-hour increments where we'd stop off at a hotel. She'd stand on her head in the pool and try and get our breech baby to flip and take a, take a break from travel. It threw a huge wrench into our lives, a huge upheaval. We got here and we knew two people, right? So I felt it in my own life, this transition, this change, this geographical shift, the physical toll, the emotional toll, the spiritual toll. The Woods family, Grove Park family, moved to the west side from the east side because they got pushed out. Displacement, east side gentrified, east lake, uh, area of our city, Edgewood area. They move over to the west side, stay there for about a year, and then their house burns down. Landlord does not give their deposit back and says, you got to go. There's no, you can't stay here. The house burnt. So Naya, the mother of uh, the Woods family, moves her children to an extended stay hotel on Fulton Industrial Boulevard. Any of you have been over there? Did you know that the Charlie Brown Airport is located on Fulton Industrial Boulevard, private airport where the governor flies in and out, and there are plane loads of women and children flowing in and out of that airport for the purposes of the human trafficking. This is literally, to Brad's point, about four or five miles from where we stand right now. You're in the same zip code as Grove Park, 30318, sitting here right now. And so what are the implications for the Woods family moving to Fulton Industrial Boulevard out of a house into an extended stay hotel? Paying rent by the week, because that's all that she could afford health issues in a couple of her children, constantly in and out of the hospital, trying to make ends meet as a single mom. Fast forward, she gets connected to us through Latanya Gates Johnson of Paw Kids. I think Latanya came and spoke a couple months ago on education. And Latanya says, hey, you need to help Naya get stable with her family. And so we moved Naya into a two-bedroom house. And Naya's been with us now two and a half years. Her family's stable, her kids are stable. She's in a rent she can afford that's relative to her income. And it's revolutionized her life and her kids' lives. Housing stability isn't just about housing. Housing stability is about all of life, right? So I've been thinking a ton about this. I was just talking to Benjamin and Brad um, before we started tonight, reflecting, ruminating on this idea of what does God think about housing? What does he think about the idea of a home? They're two different things. They're related, obviously, but they're two different things. And so Greek, I won't even try and say this. It's a, also a yogurt. I have no idea why, but nonetheless, that's how you can remember it. But in Scripture, there's a play on words in the New Testament that the writers use. One is to say uh, the Greek uh, is a literal home or a family structure. So it's both the physical dwelling as well as the relational uh, elements. But then the New Testament writers also use it to say, home is where God is. 
Augustine, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We are not home until we rest in God. Has some pretty profound implications for my work in housing. And as you think about your own home in this holiday season, the traditions of what it means to be home. So in other words, our homes should echo our, our temporal earthly homes, our literal houses, and the homes we create therein with families, with friends, with neighbors, should echo that of our eternal home. But if you're moving every six months, it's really hard to create that element or that nature of what it means to be home. Miroslav Wolf, a great philosopher and thinker of our day, Christian thinker, says the story of the gospel is an invitation to make our nested homes, our family home, our city home, our homeland, our earth home, reflect in some measure that coming home of God which completes creation. It's this longing. It's the longing of the now and the not yet. We see through a glass dimly. We realize that we're, we're in the kingdom of God. It's already at work. God is already at work. To Brad's point, we're part of the redemption plan of pushing out God's kingdom, but we long for our eternal home. So a lot of this is rooted in a theology of housing <clears throat> that I reference here, written by the Church of England. Right? Mother Church of Anglicanism wrote a theology of housing. Now, a theology of poverty, because this is really some of the uh, most direct implications of why housing is such an issue in our culture is because we have so much poverty uh, in our culture. And in American culture, we define poverty primarily as a ma being material in nature. It's economic. It's about income. It's about access to resources. And there's good things about defining it that way. We can talk about the statistics and get into median household income in Grove Park. That's roughly $22,000 a year, household income. But I think when we look at scripture, what Jesus comes and says to so many people, does he condemn the poor? Most of the time he comes and says, you leaders of the day, you are poor in your approach. You're poor in your amount of justice. You're poor in the way, in your emotional health, in the way you approach other people, your relationships, your abuse of power. And I think that's what challenges many of us in this room and many of us in our culture to say, Am I, where, where's my own poverty? In my own family, I can testify it's mental health. There's a poverty of mental health in my own family. There's a poverty of relational health in our culture. Did you know that 40% of Americans define themselves as extremely lonely with not one friend in their lives? We have an epidemic of loneliness in our culture, a poverty of relationship. And so when we start to redefine how poverty exists, it's no longer, oh, we got to go to Grove Park or Bankhead or English Ave and fix the poor people. It's to say, Lord, where is my own poverty? And how does that orient me towards the economically poor? What, does, what do the economically poor understand that I will never understand in my privilege? And I say this personally having lived in Grove Park for six years with my family now, my neighbors have taught me more. You want to know faith? Talk to a matriarch in Grove Park who is completely dependent on the Lord. Being proximate to my neighbors has done more for my Christian faith than almost any experience in my life. So God cares for the poor and the marginalized, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, 
And Dr. King's idea of the beloved community is rooted in this idea, right? Doesn't matter whether you're black or white, rich or poor, that you're all welcome in the kingdom of God. So just quickly, and um, Brad and I will get back to this in, in Benjamin in our Q&A discussion, but a, a history of housing is so important to understand why is it that the north side of Atlanta has um, a, a glut, isn't the right word, but uh, an extreme amount of wealth relative to the south and western parts of our city. This is rooted in segregation and racism. We all know these answers. These are the book answers. But in housing particularly, we'll hit on that part of racism, redlining. Any of you heard of redlining before? The, great, the Color of Law I put up here, great book, great resource on understanding redlining. Redlining was used by the government to say there are blighted areas of our city that can't get FHA financing, federally backed loans, mortgages, which give you a lower interest rate because the risk is gone, right, those of you in business. And then what you do is you say these are blighted, now we gotta, since they can't access funds, you can't redevelop, you can't renovate, you can't make them better. Black families could not access financing. And so now we're going to level them, eminent domain them, because they're a public health nuisance and issue, and you got to go somewhere else. This is not just the history of Atlanta. This is the history of our country. Using zoning and housing laws to discriminate against black families particularly, but all minorities for the sake of economic development of our cities. Deed restriction, saying that if I sell my house, a black person may not buy my house. Written right, you can go to the covenants, the deeds in the uh, Fulton County um, recorder's office and see where it says right in writing, this house may not be sold to a person of color. Appraisals and comps, this is happening to this day. Did you know when I moved into Grove Park in 2016, they would not appraise houses there for redevelopment? The way we got our funding to initially start was all philanthropy because we couldn't get a bank loan as an organization. My neighbors could not get loans because they would not appraise, right? Modern day redlining, modern day racism. And then of course you have overt racism through terrorism. When my first neighbors, uh, first black families started to move into Grove Park, it was originally laid out in the 1930s as a white neighborhood, this bucolic rural area of Atlanta, tree-lined streets, beautiful median parks still there to this day, and school integration hits 1955. Atlanta fights it till what, 1961, 62. Then the feds come in and say, no, you gotta integrate the schools. So the first black families start to move to our part. This is one of the areas of the city that could still move is unincorporated at this point. And the white residents of Grove Park burnt the elementary school down. Terrorism threats were used to impose the will our historic neighbors in Grove Park on the black, black community that was moving into our neighborhood. And lest we think this was only back in the early 20th century, there's just an investigation in New York two years ago of real estate agents who were steering people to certain neighborhoods based on their race and class. They were just uh, prosecuted in court for discrimination. So in our culture, we say racism is yesterday, it's gone. Civil rights ended all of that. I'm here to tell you it still exists in housing. This is, this is what I see every day. And of course, we can get into zoning laws. 
who can go where, what can go where, how it goes. And this is coming through our city right now. There's a new zoning rewrite that came through our city where we're going to try and densify housing in order to get more affordable housing. And many of our neighborhoods fought it because there's concern about those types of people moving in next door to me. This still happens to this day. I'm going to keep 100 in here, as we say in Grove Park. This is hard stuff, but it's real. We need to talk about this if we're really going to deal with affordable housing. If we're going to talk about justice in housing and any other issue, we need to be honest about our history as well as what's happened pres happening presently. So how do we think about housing at Grove Park Renewal? One of the most helpful things that I've really thought through in the last couple of years is thinking through Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you're familiar with this, it's a psychological concept uh, devised by Maslow. And he says that there's a hierarchy that at the base level, if, if your physical needs are met, you can move up this hierarchy towards the top, which is self-actualization. That's the dreaming, that's the career orientation, that's thinking long term. But if the physiological is not met, it's really hard to progress up that structure. So the physiological, the safety, the emotional health, the mental health, the relational health, it's all in that structure leading to the top. And so basically the concept of Grow Park Renewal is this and the same with Oaks ATL. If we can help folks stabilize physically, they will progress up the, the structure. And I can testify to this. We had a single mom come to us four years ago. She said, living out of my car, I'm eight months pregnant. I'm coming out of domestic violence. I have nowhere to go. A church connected her to us. She said, okay, we have a basement unit. We hit her for the first year from the guy who was beating her. She, a month later, <laughs> delivers her child and the neighbors from upstairs in her duplex stay with her at the hospital. So right there you see two things. The bottom structure, the bottom rung, she was physically stable. The second rung, she was safe. Third rung, she had developed relationships. They had developed relationships with her. She had social capital. A year later, she comes and says, hey, my daughter's getting older. I need a two-bedroom. So we moved her into a two-bedroom house at 30% of her income. It's priced to where she can afford it. During that time, she gets her educational certification, becomes a full-time preschool teacher, goes back and gets um, certified, passes the test, becomes a full-time preschool teacher. Last March, she emailed me and said, hey, I'm leaving in 30 days. I was like, oh no, like what happened? Are you okay? Why, why are you leaving? Oh no. She says, I bought a house. I bought a house. That's it. Did I provide the job training? Did I provide the education for her? Did I provide childcare for her? At moments, my wife watched her daughter, but basically she did the rest on her own. Now we have different people with different capacities and giftings, but the point is this. She had the autonomy and agency and margin. If you're working two and three jobs at 10 bucks an hour to put food on the table and make sure rent is paid, you have no margin, no opportunity to take risk to go back to school, to go for job training. The idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps doesn't work when your bootstraps are tied to a $10 an hour job. But with some margin with affordable housing, with a partnership, with a high quality education at Peace Prep, you wanna see families flourish? Whole children, whole families, whole communities? My kid goes to Peace Prep because I believe in Benjamin and the model of the school. So housing affordability is based on the idea that at, if, if your housing costs more than 30% of your income, it's really unaffordable. It makes it, and you've all probably lived this at some point, it makes it really tough to make ends meet, whether it's your mortgage or rent. 
The vast majority of low-income residents whom we serve, we serve folks who make $15,000 to $30,000 a year, pay more than 50% of their income in rent. There's no margin. So what are we trying to do? We created this nonprofit place-based in Grove Park, and the whole idea is, the whole perspective is, we want to be geographically located for the sake of a, a rapidly gentrifying community historically black, historically disenfranchised with the idea that will help folks stabilize so they can realize the economic change, the educational change that's coming to the west side of the city finally after years of being forgotten. So we started a nonprofit similar to Oaks ATL. We now have 50 properties actually in our portfolio. We're serving around 300 people including the folks, 350 people including the folks in English Ave. All with this idea of creating margin. 40% of our neighborhood was vacant and dilapidated when we started. We're now at uh, basically 5% vacancy in our neighborhood. And I'll talk about the gentrification a little bit, but when I moved there, median home price was hovering around $60,000, and we just went over two eighty dollars uh, last month, median home price. You see the change already. We had a $600,000 house sell just in the neighborhood south to us uh, last week. It's here. This is what's coming. Brad already talked about this. The new park you know about, Microsoft is setting up shop. We have heard anywhere from 15 to 30,000 tech employees. I talked to one of their HR reps. Starting pay coming out of Georgia Tech is 125 grand. $50,000 signing bonus, $100,000 in stock options. Nothing wrong with that. Those folks earn that. Props to them. But the question is, if you want to live next to the Microsoft campus that is literally a half a mile from my office building where I work every day, half a mile from where Benjamin's school is, what does that mean for our people? You all know. So what do we do? We renovate houses. We put people in them. Provide stability. Beautiful houses. White shaker cabinets, granite countertops, tiled bathrooms. They're houses you all would want to move into because we're about dignity. We're about dignified, quality housing. You see a basement that we did for LaTanya. She's run now four families through this transitional basement unit that we did. We're thinking creatively about how do we create units wherever we can get them in order to house families so they don't have to move out of the neighborhood they know and love. So that's what we're doing. This is the vision for this year. We're going to build front houses and back houses with guest suites on each of them. We're going to try and get three to four units per lot. We're going to create tasteful, thoughtful housing density in our neighborhood. You see the elevations on the left and the bottom left there. This is a house Matt Maxwell's actually building in our neighborhood starting February 1st. We're going to model this. It hasn't been done in the city yet. We're going to show that we can do thoughtful density in our neighborhoods for the sake of community. There will be a 3-2 upstairs, a 2-2 downstairs, and a guest suite, a 1-1 at the back. And then at the back of the lot, we'll put a two-bedroom, two-bath accessory dwelling unit. And what did we just do with this model? Basically, we're going to drop about 60 units scattered throughout the neighborhood, so it's not concentrated. But we're going to be able to mix incomes, demographics, race, gender, culture, all mixed in these units, and then we're going to put high-quality community programming in coordination with it. So it'll be a place-based strategy where you can start to think about, because gentrification is so insidious. When we think about it, it's like, oh, the real estate market changes, and that's what gentrification is. But gentrification is really about culture change. It's about language change. It's about habits. It's about who's in control of the neighborhood. 
And so if we can set up these micro communities where we have six to eight units on two lots with a community space, we're running community programming for folks, bringing in the mental health services, the connections to education, connections to job training, that's where you, you get it. Maslow's hierarchy is the base level, but then we're bringing the resources to the people and we're creating these micro communities where they feel safe, where they feel comfortable, where they feel seen and known. And so you see our target rents. We're gonna try and get units down to 500 bucks. Our median rent now in Grove Park is 1600. People are gonna be able to stay in the community they know and love and be proximate to the economic educational opportunities. And so I'll leave you with this question to discuss at your tables. What can you do? This is really probably, I'm feeding you with a fire hose tonight, so forgive me on that, but I feel a sense of urgency because basically in two years, all my people will be gone. That's the reality. They will be displaced. They're so price sensitive, a $50 change in rent means they move. So I have a sense of urgency. I want you to have a sense of urgency. Doesn't mean I want you in the trenches with us in Grove Park. Not necessarily, maybe. But ask yourself tonight, what is the Lord calling me to? Is it sharing? I have this one friend who loves this stuff. Man, he's got to talk to Justin. He's got to talk to Matt and Benjamin. Or maybe it's coming and visiting. I don't know anything about this. This history you told me about, this freaks me out. Is this really true? Yeah, let's come talk about it. Maybe it's giving. Maybe you have resources. You're like, I ain't got time to help in the trenches, but I will spend some of my treasure in context to right the wrongs of yesterday. There's a nature of restorative justice that's a part of our work. Equity is a good word, but restorative justice is a biblical idea. The year of Jubilee, every 50 years, everyone got their land returned to them debt-free. Sounds like socialism. It's in the Bible. What does that mean in this context? I don't know, but help me work it out. Let's figure it out. Maybe it's teaching or coming alongside of folks, running financial literacy classes with us, running trainings, being uh, incarnational in nature, tabernacling, dwelling amongst people who may be different than you, may be the same. We all have commonalities between us. So I think the question I want to think about is, what does our Christianity cost us? And this becomes very personal. But think about and share amongst your table, like, how could the Lord be calling you to be more involved? What are the talents you have? What are connections you have? Help this to spur one another on. If you know each other, be like, hey, like, you're really good at this. Have you thought about what, how that applies? And it's not just in housing. This is legal. This is accounting. Like Benjamin could stand up here and tell you all the needs that the school has too in all these subject areas where you all have expertise and resources, connections, that social capital. And so think about that. Spend, spend a few minutes thinking about that, and then we'll have some Q&A. Thank you so much. All right, y'all. We have some awesome, thick questions here. Um, so, you you hold that mic, and we'll share we'll share one here. Is that good? Perfect. Um, uh, first and foremost, just uh, a thank you for engaging. Um, I mean, the hope would be that this stirs things in us. There's no like manufactured outcome for an evening like this, um, except the reality that I know when we create space for the Lord, uh, He shows up. That's a promise in the word of God. Um, and I know that he is calling us to a redemptive work um, in the spaces that we dwell in and occupy. Um, so, so excited to hear from both of you all um, in regards to your perspectives on housing and the unique angles that you come from, from a school perspective, kind of a wraparound sense of engagement um, to a pure housing perspective. 
um, and the way you challenged us and um, hopefully pressed some buttons in us um, and got stirred a little bit. Um, and we just encourage you to not be scared, um, to be stirred up, right? Like if you feel things that are bothering you, sometimes we like put our fists up in those spaces and say instead, maybe, just maybe, those are the very places the Lord actually wants to say something uh, to us and how good that is um, to not run from those things. Um, so we got a lot of questions here. Um, so let's just, we're just going to dig right in. Um, we may be here for a while, so just know um, you can do what you need to do. Um, all right, so I'm just going to read them, and we'll just go for it. And you guys can answer how you do. Um, how are you guys involving other local residents in the strategic and everyday decision-making of your organizations? That's a really good question. Thank you for that, whoever asked that. Um, one of the things we do, which I alluded to earlier, was uh, we, have a, we have three main kind of buildings, and each of those has a resident advocate living in them and so we invite those people into a space on a monthly basis to have conversations um, and to to specifically share with us how life is going and what other things we can be thinking about and so that's one of the ways um, yeah that we're kind of really practically doing that in an ongoing work but then again as I mentioned like visiting every single unit every single month and so that gives us like a really dynamic touch point with everybody to say how is life really going for you um, and then how do we evaluate that yeah it's an excellent question so thank you for that because um, that's lost a lot of times in this kind of work uh, where it's uh, white guys like me coming in and saying this is what the community needs and this is how we're going to do it and so to try and flip that on its head is to say what what is it, what do the grassroots look like and so, and how do they have a voice in the power structure? And so our board has uh, two residents who live in our houses who, uh, out of eight, uh, so they have a significant uh, say in how our operations run, how we govern uh, the operations. They hold me directly accountable for the work because they're directly impacted. So that's one of the most overt power dynamics. And then um, our staff live in the neighborhood. So we don't paratroop in, do our work eight to five, and then leave at night. Our property manager lives two blocks from my house. Our community engagement person lives between Benjamin and my house in the Bankhead neighborhood, which is between English Ave and Grove Park. Um, and so we're really trying to hire folks who live, work, breathe, play the community. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is, uh, similar to what Benjamin, we actually go on those uh, unit walks with them in English Ave as well, but also that we run town halls and we're trying to get constant feedback from folks. Our community engagement folks will reach out to every household per month and get feedback on what's happening. And we're launching a new community engagement program. I was just pitching Brad on this last week um, that the residents are shaping and have shaped uh, already in how we're doing that. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll just be loud. Uh, the dynamics of gentrification are happening all over the country and presumably the world. What sort of large-scale changes would need to happen to begin halting that trend? You can't. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so if you've uh, watched, uh, the best analogy I have is uh, the tsunamis that hit, like Japan, Fukushima. Did any of you see those videos when it came out? Um, are you going to stop a tsunami? No. So what are the mitigation efforts that you can uh, use to try and combat a tsunami? Well, one is warning systems. So that's what they did actually pretty well in Japan, all things considered. 
So sound the alarm bells. There's a tsunami coming. We had an earthquake. The wave is coming. Second is to batten down the hatches, right? So some boats actually go out to sea when a tsunami is coming in. They try and get out ahead of the wave to try and save their vessel. And then you have fortresses. You, you have buildings that are built out of concrete. They're 20, 30, 40 stories. Those are where the videos came from because those folks are going to be okay. They're going to survive the tsunami. But anything below that, maybe when the first wave comes through, they survive. But when that second and third wave come through, you're not stopping that. So it destroys everything in its path, including life. It's similar in capitalism. When capital starts to flood in, when it sees opportunity for a return, capitalism takes no prisoners. For good and for bad, it's a very efficient way of getting things done. But the problem is, many times capitalism as an economic structure forgets about humanity at the base level. Not completely, because you need customers as well. But basically, like in Grove Park, as we see the new park go in, the city did a terrible job of outreach. They didn't. They didn't do public engagement. There's no thought about housing, economic development, um, transportation. There's no plans around any of this. Around one of the catalytic 100-year projects in the city of Atlanta, we have no planning. And so when you have Microsoft then saying, we're coming in, that's a tsunami wave. And within a week, we watched the real estate market bump 15%, right? And so what we're doing is saying, some folks are gonna be in fortresses. That's through affordable housing efforts like ours and Oaks ATL. You own the land. This is old England uh, property rights, common law. Those are lawyers in the room, right? Land rights, individual land rights, king in America. You control the land, you control who goes on that land. That's the opportunity to help people stay. That's the fortress in the face of tsunami. Anyone else in there, it's a life raft mentality. Can we get out over the wave? Can we help people land? It used to be people would land in the next neighborhood. I didn't even tell you this yet, Benjamin. When I first started, then when our folks were getting displaced, it was Douglasville, then Riverdale, then it was McDonough. Those of you who know Georgia geography, last week, uh, LaTanya told me one family moved to Macon and one family moved to Columbus. We're displacing poverty, not just to the periphery of our metro, we're displacing poverty to the rural areas of Georgia and our country. What is this, Columbus, an hour and a half away? And you want to know why? Because our family got a $500 rent and a $35,000 construction job. Totally uprooted their life. Their kids, they just pulled them out of school last week. Uprooting their whole life, their culture, everything they know. But it's the economics. They can't do anything else. It's, the tsunami is real. It's happening right now. Uh, maybe in light of that, how do you think churches can be more countercultural when it comes to housing things like the choices we make about our own housing, the types of housing we advocate for, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's where you get involved in that disruptive work that Justin was talking about of, of owning property and figuring out how do we um, co-locate things together? How do we think just creatively about property? And so not to like um, wave our own flag, but like Redeemer and Peace Prep co-locating together and saying we'll look for one property as opposed to... Um, a property that's underutilized at other times of the week and being creative with resources in that way then gives the church some flexibility to engage um, financially in other kinds of pro projects if it if it chooses to. And I think um, Christian people can think about the ways that they're, yeah, they create margin in their own housing situations. And so creating that margin to say, oh, I can create some margin, then let me 
use that margin to be helpful in 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 these kinds of organizations that are doing this disruptive work. So even if you don't get involved in it yourself, um, we have a pretty unique investment model that people can invest real money and get a return on it, just like they would with a bank, um, but also do some good with that investment. So social impact investing and things like that um, become mechanisms by which you can be a, a quiet and sometimes even louder disruptor. So I'll take it at two levels. One level is institutional church, thinking about how do you use your space even here, right? We have a lot of folks who sleep on the street at night. Maybe there's an opportunity for your church to think about, is there a space where we could host people who are vulnerable? We are about to face, uh, COVID's its own epidemic. When the rent relief runs out and the moratoriums run out on evictions, we are going to have an epidemic of homelessness hit our city. And it will be with us, I think, for five to 10 years. And so how are local church bodies thinking about their use of space? That's I, the example of Redeemer and Peace Preps Partnership, so profound, I think. It's so beautiful. The whole week it's used for school activities. Sundays it's Redeemer space. And then we have the housing all around. It's great, co-located. And then the second piece is us as individual believers. I just built a new house. It's beautiful. Matt Maxwell built it for me from Oaks. And we put an apartment in the house. And so we're housing actually one of Benjamin's teachers from Peace Prep. She couldn't qualify for housing anywhere else. She's 22 years old, didn't have credit score. And so how do we think missionally about our own spaces? This isn't saying all of us have to do this, but it's to say, man, if I could put a unit uh, on my garage or in my backyard that's 700 square feet and still make ends meet, you know, pay, had charge $800, $1,000, it will revolutionize housing in our city the more we get density. We need to think more like Chicago and less like suburbia in our city. We need to stop fighting densification of housing in our city. So that's another thing is to advocate on policy, to call your council member and be like, hey, I know these punks down on the west side who are doing this housing and they need more of it to, to help our people be able to stay. And that's the opportunity that we have as believers to testify and put, put our money where our mouth is as far as justice and concerns on, on those levels. Brad, can I interject? I'm still curious if you, I'm gonna push that just for a second. Just to, um, you know, one of the things that the church does for me, just to be personal for a second, um, is it makes, it, in some cases, right, if I'm connected to the community in a positive way and I'm getting the feeding that I need to it from relationships and those sorts of things, is that um, it should make it hard for me to make certain moral decisions, right? Like there should be certain choices that it's harder for me to make than others if I want to remain faithful, certainly to my faith, but then also to this community that I'm connected with and I'm invested in, right? So I don't feel that pressure about how, as, as and also in a host of other social, what we might put under a number of social issues, right? So, so I mean, what, what does it look like for a congregation to make it easier, certainly, to make those types of choices that y'all are both describing about my own family's housing situation? Like, I, we could use more space, but I, I'm, I'm over-housed. Like, 95% of Trinity's probably over-housed. I don't know, I'm not guessing there. Um, so, at some point, I'm gonna feel some pressure to, to level up in my housing, how do I get some counter pressure from my community of faith that says, you know what, let's think differently about that. Let's think differently about that resource. What are the kind of covenants that communities of faith can make around that? Are there 
I, are there examples of that that y'all have seen that are not fully monastic, <laughs> but are you know are, are trying to wrestle with with people in that space right now? Brad, that's you can answer that too. Yeah. So I think that it's such a great question, and so. I think a couple of things. One is, I, I do think that idea of the institutional church thinking about these issues and thinking about uh, at the, the level of the body, how are we stewarding our resources as organizations? And there are churches that are doing some pretty amazing things on affordable housing. So they have huge parking lots and they're like, we only need 25% of these parking spots. We're gonna build townhomes along one whole side. And so in our neighborhood, we're talking with churches right now about this idea of can we line your parking lot with townhomes that you get cash flow and we get affordable housing out of it. So it's mutually beneficial. Oh, and by the way, a lot of your congregants can live here and stay proximate to your church. So that's one example that's very practical. I think at the personal level, what you're saying is so important. The majority of Atlanta is overhoused. That just means you have extra bedrooms, basically extra space. And so my wife and I, as, as we were thinking about it to make it practical, it's like, well, if we're going to build a new house, how do we build it in a way where we can love and serve our neighbors? And that's not a righteous thing. That's a practical thing too, right? It throws off rent. It helps pay the mortgage as well, right? There's a symbiotic relationship. They need a place to live. It serves the school that my kid attends, and it serves us in our financial well-being. It can be the best of all worlds on some level there. So I think really asking yourself and in, in talking with your spouse or your family or whoever's in your household and saying, what resources are we stewarding? I don't own anything. It's, these are all God's resources that he's entrusted to me to manage and steward. How am I using them for, for his kingdom? And there becomes very practical things, to your point, that can be done. Would, are you willing to have a bedroom available for a family that gets displaced or a single mom, you know, that you say to me, hey, if you ever need a spot for somebody to land for a minute, we're, we're those people. It's a big ask, but I think the model of Jesus and the model of his disciples in Christianity historically, from what I know, Benjamin knows a lot more than I do about this, but has been one of that level of sacrifice. Acts 2. Think about what Acts 2 would do in our culture. That would be revolutionary. Yeah, and I would just add, like, showing up in spaces like this. Like, this is like a, a created pressure that you've put yourself in this situation, have these conversations, and um, there are more of them on, like like you said, all other kinds of social issues. Uh, so I think proximity, right, and kind of like intentionally deciding with your life, how proximate am I to these kinds of issues, and how is that a part of my faith journey, right? And so um, it's an extra step, and it's an example of a maturing Christian that's forming in Christ's likeness to say, I'm going to get close to it, right? This is what we're considering in this season, God coming close and incarnating. And so asking that question of like, how am I incarnating the issues that are, be, that are, that are faced in my city, right? So you, know, you just look at the mayoral platforms from the election that we just had. It was affordable housing was one of the number one platforms. So um, how can believers incarnate to that idea? I think the only thing I would add to that is just the sense of um, maybe imagination like asking the Lord to help you in your imagination for the stories that you've already lived up to this point. So the skills you have, the profession you've lived in, the gifts you have to give and, and trust that the Lord is 
not going to waste any of those things. Like he's the ultimate conservationist in that way. Um, and so, you know, John, I mean, the world you live in in regards to nonprofit community food bank, I mean, there is so much wisdom that has been accumulated that is, be, I think, ready to be spent from all of us in this particular room. Um, and some of us, and so one of the questions you had that somebody asked was, as a real estate professional, what can I do? Um, and I would imagine that if you all asked yourself that about your own profession in regards to as it relates to, um, to housing would be a, a fruitful thing. So with, and, and then to realize too, there's no, these are not simple answers, right? Like these are, these are really complicated things. Um, and one of the things I love, I don't know if you ever, if you go to Trinity, um, you hear us talk about Dallas Willard as though he may be like the fourth part of the Trinity. Um, uh, but one of the things he said is he, he did a great um, reflection on who was my neighbor. Um, and one of the things that felt so releasing for me when I heard him to say this is that not everybody is your neighbor. Like you cannot love every person on this planet. Um, only Jesus can do that. But you can love the person that is next to you, right? Like that you can engage with in intentionality. And so I would say just as like maybe a blanket or a backdrop beyond the, um, the reality, the complexity is, uh, is that release to not like go and solve the world's problems, um, but to do what you can do um, in these spaces and ask God to help you in your imagination um, as a real estate professional, as a builder, as a developer, as a teacher, as a nonprofit leader, whatever it is that y'all end up doing. All right, so uh, a couple more questions here, um, which is somewhat connected to what y'all are just saying. Can you discuss some of the recent city council's votes as it relates to, to zoning legislation? Um, and kind of connected to the public policies. Because I do think that's, for me, part of the church's conversation is what are ways that we as a church can re-engage in the public sphere from the, from the imagination of God's redemptive work? You know, not a political sphere in any way, shape, or form, but truly what does the kingdom of God want to look like as, you know, God would bring it to bear? Um, and what are some of the policies that we can support um, in some of the legislation that we could support at the city level um, that could have an impact on housing? I'll, let me give an example of like how we can how how we have seen this like be um, a barrier to the work that we do, and then Justin's going to say something more intelligible than I am. Um, but so uh, several of the properties that we bought were multifamily properties, very clearly six unit, ten unit, fifteen unit. Several years ago, one of the strategies around zoning was any property like that that sat vacant for six months would revert to a single family designation. And so you have a property that is clearly a six unit property, has always been a six unit property, and the only thing you could build on that land without rezoning it would be a single family home. That would be an enormous single family home or a huge lot. It makes absolutely no sense other than the fact that you could tear that down and build something that would cost much more that could be sold at a higher price, right? So it would be more attractive to developers was the idea. And so those are the kinds of things that um, seem like they, people kind of quietly just push those through because they don't seem to have an intended consequence. They're just there. Um, but then when somebody comes and tries to do a redemptive work, we got to spend another nine months to a year rezoning a property to be what it has always been in the history of a community um, to fight for six families to live on a piece of land instead of one. Um, and so that's an example of kind of how a zoning policy that seems like a pretty minor issue um, would have a really harmful impact on, on uh, our poorer neighbors. Um, 
So I'll preface this by saying I'm an urban planner by training, and so I'm, I love to nerd out on zoning code and policy. Uh, no, so I'll start with the theological because I think that can orient us in our policy. If we have a Revelation 7 mentality of every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping the Lord, standing before him in community, how do we catch glimpses of that this side of eternity? And to Benjamin's point, it's by being proximate to one another, right? This is where diversity, it's, it's become a swear word in some circles, but there's real beauty that comes in cross-cultural experience. It's uncomfortable at points from my own experience traveling or even being in Grove Park, but to say some of my richest experiences have been with people who think much differently about the world than I do, and I can see how the Lord is using them and has used them to do some miraculous work that I could have never done because of my background. And so honoring that idea of how the Lord views, he's created all humanity, whether you're believers or not, created everyone. And so if he values diversity culturally, racially, uh, economically, all together, and his heart is really with the poor, you see that through scripture, then to say, well, how does zoning code shape who my neighbor is? Right? We've stratified ourselves via zoning code and regulation into the current communities that we have. There's a reason why it's not just by accident that the north side of our city is majority white and the south and west sides of our city are majority black. This was done purposefully. And so rewriting the zoning code, are, there are efforts to break down some of these barriers and to think about how do we think creatively about housing, particularly with zoning. Zoning just means what can happen on a piece of property. It's the regulation the city puts in that says this can happen here, this can't happen here, right? And so when you tighten up or restrict zoning, it becomes very difficult, to Benjamin's point, to do certain types of development on those properties. Single-family housing is a, a rite of passage in American culture. And there's a lot of beauty that is come in single-family housing, but the problem is when we say only single-family housing can happen on this 7,500 or 10,000 square foot lot, all of a sudden when land is at a high demand and you have very limited supply, this is basic economics, right? You have limited supply and demand goes up. What happens to price? goes up, right? So the zoning rewrites that the city council just tried to put through that got totally stonewalled, mostly coming out of Buckhead, uh, were rewrites trying to do basically what we're doing is saying all single family lots could have multiple units. So even if you're in an R1, a very low density, you could still put a, a garage with a back house on top of it in your backyard, trying to get more density in the city, more housing units. Well, what comes with density is more affordability. Therefore, you have different types of people, different types of neighbors. You can think about, oh man, I could have a Georgia Tech student living in my back house, right? And all of a sudden, you have a generational change, right? Well, in my neighborhood, it also means the matriarchs can afford to stay because now they've created a housing unit that throws off cash, just like my wife and I did in our house, and now they have economic mobility. That's what zoning code gets you. And so it becomes very practical when we're advocating to not just say, well, I want to keep mine, which I don't see anywhere in Scripture, protecting. 
you can make arguments about this. I think there are economics, there, there are merits to capitalism and, and I, I wanna honor all of that. I'm not saying toss the whole system. I'm saying the system doesn't always, it's not always perfect in taking care of people. And that's where God's economy is much different than being concerned wholeheartedly with the economics. Economics matter. I want you all to provide for your families and do really well for them and give to your church. And, but I also want you to honor the history that I talked a little bit about tonight and really dig into that and say, geez, what does restorative justice look like? It looks like fighting for a better zoning code in our city. It becomes very practical. It means maybe even giving up some space in your house, to your point. I'm overhoused. Maybe you can give up some of that space or you utilize that space to love, love neighbor. Uh, those are a couple of practical things. That's good. That's helpful. Uh, and maybe the last question here will land a plane. Um, it's kind of connected to that, and you just spoke to it a little bit. Is what, would, what does success look like um, in light of the work that y'all are doing? Yeah, I think uh, it's Oaks of Righteousness. It's the people in the community getting to stay in the community, grow up in the community, and become the leaders of the, of the community, right? And I uh, tell people all the time, my big crazy vision is to work myself out of a job, that these kids that we're investing in get to be the heads of school, they get to be the business owners, they get to be the homeowners, that we just get to be a part of seeing them flourish. Um, it looks like um, kids growing up to an age that they're grown up and not dying because of violence or because of poverty or because of things that we can prevent, right? Um, and it looks like um, God's picture of shalom, nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it's intended to be. And I think that um, we've got to pull that piece out of the equation that comes out of our American formation that says, like, that is something that you deserve or earn. It's just not, it's just not part of, of what God says in Scripture. That's so good. Um, so, man, that is such a good question. I think, ultimately, success in our neighborhood, in our city, in our country, and in our world is one of reconciliation. It's, it's to Benjamin's point, on some level, it, it's shalom that comes through the kingdom of God but we can see that in redeemed relationships, whether it's a broken marriage that is reconciled, whether it's a race or class differentiation that's historically been rooted in our, our country that we start to really try and reconcile and mend those relationships. So practically in Grove Park, what we long for is um, one where people know they're loved by God and reconciled with him in the gospel, the work of finished work of Jesus, that their relationships are mended and reconciled because of the work of Jesus, that they're reconciled to themselves because of the work of Jesus, and they're reconciled to creation, right? The, the created order is broken. There's something outside of self that's broken. The, the Romans 8 says creation um, groans with anticipation, with hope of restoration, and I think what we see in the tangible, I can speak up here lofty, right, theologically, but to say this becomes very real at these tables as you have conversations. It becomes very real at Thanksgiving with our families. And that, that our folks in Grove Park would know this, but we talk all the time about bankhead to buckhead and buckhead to bankhead. One of our callings with Grove Park Renewal and the work we do with Benjamin and Redeemer and Peace is to, to bridge the gap, to stand in the gap, and to be bicultural and to say, here's the story of Bankhead 
Buckhead, you need to know this, for lack of a better term. And Bankhead, here's what Buckhead is going through. You need to know this, right? And to break down those barriers and to seek reconciliation between our communities. Right now, let's just be, keep it 100, as I said before, Buckhead wants to pull out. And wherever you come down on the political spectrum, I lament that because I think it shows the brokenness of our society. We see this mostly politically, but we didn't get here overnight. Our political leaders of today didn't create this mess. They're just capitalizing on it. And the only way we're gonna root that out is at this level, to Benjamin's point. You all showing up tonight, do you know how much this means to us? Because there are a lot of days I sit in Bankhead and I think nobody cares. And that's what my neighbors think. We're forgotten. We have no hope. So I long for that restoration, that reconciliation, and we're all part of it. To your point that you opened with, we're all agents of reconciliation. We're all agents of peace and shalom, like Benjamin was saying. And that can be very practical, right? Sometimes you walk away from these discussions and like, what the heck was that? These talking heads are, you know, talking. It's like very practical. Your vocation's part of it, right? Your opportunity in your own family is part of this. If you have a broken family relationship, I challenge you to say, what is the Lord calling you to do in that? I have one in my family right now I'm working through, right? And so it becomes very practical. Zoning code. You want to nerd out on policy? Talk to me after. I can give you all kinds of opportunities to talk to city. I'm meeting with them tomorrow to talk about zoning code. We can't put a stove in one of these back houses because of zoning code. I can't have a stove for one of our families, so I'm trying to get that change, right? It becomes very practical. You start picking up the phone and calling some folks for us, so, all right. I get long-winded, Brad. That's good, even with your jacket off. <laughs> I had to mad that, what do I do? Yeah, you got casual, and you got fired up. Y'all, thank you um, for being here, uh, for the work that you do. Um, it's a gift uh, to know um, that there is uh, a concerted effort to bring heaven to earth in our city. Um, and the church and the body um, is behind you guys and the work that you're doing. Um, and the church, uh, I think, like you said, is a good representation in this space. Um, it, it has a desire to lean into the things that God is doing. Um, and like I said at the beginning, for us, uh, ask God to help you um, and me. I ask God every single day to give me eyes to see where he wants me to participate in his redemptive work today. Um, I have found it's uncannily associated to where I am geographically. Does that make sense? Like where God is at work generally happens to be where I'm standing. Um, it's not like in a place I'm not. Um, and, and so like lean into that invitation um, to ask God how you can be a redemptive person in the space that you are. Um, and then for an expanded imagination for how you can take the story that he's given you, the life that you have, the gifts that you have, the resources that you have, and to think differently through his lens. Um, and that's like a really hard thing to do, right? Like we need God's help um, to lean in that. And we need people um, like Justin and Benjamin to be able to help us see um, that there's a whole nother world out there um, that is active and at, at work in very dynamic ways. And so I do hope that you guys uh, enjoyed tonight. I hope that you learned some things. I hope that it stirred things in you, whether you agree or not. Um, honestly, it doesn't matter all that much to me um, because I think this is meant to stir on conversations for us. Uh, so that Trinity can be the community that Trinity is meant to be. Um, the city of Atlanta should be blessed by our existence, right? It should be better off because we exist. Um, and that's my heart and my hope for us as a body. 
Um, so let's do this. I'll say there were a bunch more questions, and they were honestly more directly specifically to Grove Park renewal um, about things about like related to the way that y'all work. Um, so if you're all right, me doing this invitation, if you have some questions and you want to point them to either of these fellas, they'll be here for a little bit longer. Um, but let me pray, um, close our evening, and ask God to to help us lean into um, this calling. Uh, Father, we uh, again remind us, Lord, of your, uh, your holy presence. That God, through the gift of your Holy Spirit, you do not leave us um, on our own as we uh, face the consequences of our collective sin, God. Lord, and, and that is just the reality of the way things are, Lord. We are broken people who inherit brokenness. We pass it on individually and collectively, Lord, and we know that and we see it in the world around us. Uh, Lord, the, the brokenness, the injustice around us, um, and we're overwhelmed by it most of the time, Lord. And so we ask for your help uh, to see our part, to see our role, to see how we can be faithful to what's right in front of us. Help us see our gifts, Lord, that you've given us, that we participate in your redemptive work. Lord help, Lord, help us trust, Lord, that as we give ourselves away, um, that you are who you say you are. Lord, you are a generous and a kind and a loving Father. Um, Lord, and as I give myself away and as we give ourselves away, God, just like you were good to Jesus and brought him back from death, Lord, you do the same for us. Build our faith, God. Help us move away from self-preservation. May your kingdom come, God. We ask your blessing on Grove Park Renewal, on Peace Prep and Oaks ATL. Lord, we thank you for the work that these men are doing and all of the men and women whose hands work with them. Lord, we ask your blessing on them. Expand their sense of success, Lord, and the visions they have. Encourage them in times of discouragement, Lord. Bring the resources needed, Lord, the influence needed, the people um, that can pull levers, Lord, to make these things happen. Lord, we ask that you would bring all of these things in abundance, Lord, so that your city would look like you want it to look like, Lord. We ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, y'all. Thank you so much for being here. Um, like I said, if you have questions for either of these gentlemen, just come up and be bold. God bless you guys. Have a great night.